Welcome to the Civil War Regiment's podcast, here to provide you with the reading of accounts of the common soldiers of the American Civil War, giving insight into the daily lives of the soldiers through diaries and more. The primary source of these entries are from the outstanding Time Life series, Voices of the Civil War. Today's account is from Voices of the Civil War, Shenandoah, 1862, an entry by Private Charles Trueheart of the Rockbridge, Virginia Artillery. Enlisting in October 1861 as a cannoneer, Trueheart participated in the attack on Dam No. 5, an expedition conducted by Stonewall Jackson to keep his force active in the winter season. Jackson, annoyed by waiting and fearful that his troops would molder in their camps, decided to make what amounted to a practice strike against the enemy. Marshalling his Stonewall Brigade, some militiamen, and Captain William McLaughlin's crack Rockbridge artillery, he hustled them north out of Winchester, Virginia, shortly before Christmas 1861. The target, the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal, which, running parallel to the Potomac River, carried barge loads of the Appalachian coal needed to keep the Union home fires burning. The Confederate troops, having covered 38 miles in less than two days, managed to tear a hole in the canal's dam number five, despite heavy fire from the Union defenders. Then they marched back to Winchester at the same speed, arriving on December 23rd. In 1863, Truart became a hospital steward and later served as a surgeon. In the following account, Truart describes his participation in the attack on dam number five, as well as his encounters with Colonel Turner Ashby, the famed Virginia Cavalier. You have doubtless heard of the famous partisan leader of the Potomac border, Colonel Ashby. I believe I failed to mention some particulars of the expedition under his conduct, which may prove interesting to you all. We have been on the march from Charlestown since one o'clock the previous night, and had halted at a village, some few hundred yards from the river called Hard Scrabble or Scrabble Town. Ashby, being first in front of our column, then behind, and short popping up everywhere along the line of our marching column with the most restless, watchful manner, mounted on his splendid black stallion, and followed by a number of his mounted bodyguard. But although his men seemed pretty well fagged and disposed to rest themselves by stretching full length on the grass, he still rode about, peering over the river from behind the trees on the hill at the larger Yankee camp. He had been up the lane on one of these reconnoiters when he came dashing down the road, exclaiming as he came in hearing, Ten men, follow me! In an instant, the whole company of troopers were mounted and dashing off after their gallant leader. Some three hundred yards just over a hill from us, there stood a house in an old field, near which the colonel had discovered eight of the enemy, armed to the teeth. A fence some four or five feet high stood between our position and the house. He cleared the fence with the greatest ease, and outstripping all his men, dashed up to the Yankees, who fired volley after volley at him as they retreated toward the house, where they took last refuge and kept up the fire on our troopers. But it soon became too warm for them, and they rushed out of the house, and they made an attempt to get to the river. But Ashby, with a loud voice and his six-shooter, 
leveled at the Yankee captain's head and commanded them to surrender. They sang out loudly for quarters, and in a minute or two the whole party, captain and all, were astride behind our troopers and borne in triumph down to where we were stationed amid the shouts of our men. One of the prisoners, a six-foot-four fellow and large in proportion, who proved to be a Kentuckian, was mounted on a small horse behind a diminutive boy of fifteen and cut a most ridiculous figure, his, his legs hanging down near the ground and head reaching far above the little fellow's head. Numerous were the questions put to the Yankees, who seemed not at all put out at what had befallen them. One of the rascals with a good-natured laugh called for a chew of tobacco before he would do any talking. Only the captain seemed at all gruff. We regulated march so as to reach the woods in the neighborhood of the dam, where we bivouacked for the night on the bare ground with our blankets only. The upper blankets were stiff with frost when we arose at daybreak in the morning. During the night a large force of the infantry, under cover of the darkness, threw up a stone wall that entirely protected them from the riflemen of the enemy, besides doing a large amount of work and the destruction of the dam. We remained at the work of pulling down the dam some five or six days, and we did the work pretty effectively, too. We were engaged in skirmishing with the enemy every day, both with artillery and riflemen. General Jackson, by his admirable strategic movements, entirely deceived the Yankees, making them think he had a large force some six miles down the river, by sending the 1,500 militiamen down there and making them keep up a large number of fires during the night, and attempt to cross the river during the day. But at last, just as we were completing the work on the dam, they brought up some of their artillery from below to play upon us, and the large force of their infantry. But here again Old Jack fooled them completely. He had the wagons with the boats, Old Jack's fleet as the soldiers called it. They were brought in sight on their way up the river, to a point of some five or six miles above the dam, conducted by a considerable display of troops, as though we were going to effect a crossing up there. No sooner did the outwitted Yankees discover this new and apparently formidable and important movement than off they posted with their whole force up the river, leaving us just where we wanted to be left, without opposition, to prosecute our designs on the dam. The Yankees tried hard to shell our camp, but Jack had outstrong a picket so that no spies could approach and discover our positions. And then he made us move our positions once or twice during the 24 hours, had fires kindled in different positions of a night, so as to entirely deceive the rascals. Many were the iron messengers sent over to discover our location to them, some of which burst quite near us, so that we picked up the fragments of shell, etc. But thanks almighty God, they did us no harm. Private Charles Truart, Rockbridge, Virginia Artillery.